Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Uh, we're looking at Christ being a mediator. The, the, when we look at the Advent wreath, we've been introducing some of our newer staff to you. That's who's been able to light the candles for us. Looking forward to, for centuries, people look forward to the coming Messiah. Messiah means promised one. And when we look at Christ being the Messiah, we've looked at him holding the office of a prophet and a priest, and today we'll look at him holding the office of a king. When you look at the Bible, you'll see that there's about five motivations that are used throughout the Bible to call us out to do the will of God, or five different reasons or things to generate enthusiasm for you and I just to do what God called us to do. And you can see three of those five that are used in the offices of Jesus, the, um, the mediator. In, in the prophet, you can see one of the, one of the uh, motivations that are used is uh, reason. As the prophet, he says, I, I come, and this is almost like parenting styles, right, or parenting motives. He comes and says, look, I know you. I, I, you know, I know how the world works. I'm kind of the older guy in this relationship, and this is the way it works out better. So listen, I know what's right and real and true. Live this way. You'll, you'll be better for it. It's the, it's the wise way to live. So Jesus the prophet motivates through wisdom, through revelation. And Jesus the priest, he comes and he says to us, look at all I have done for you. And the primary motive there is just joy overflowing. It's gratitude. It's, it's, it's love back. And we do this in parenting sometimes. We'll say, come on, come on. Could you, could you just make your room? Can you, do you know what I do for you? Do you have any idea what I've done for you? Please, could you just give back a little bit? In, pri- in Christ the King, we see a third motivation still, and we find ourselves doing this in parenting. We say, because I told you, because I said so, because I'm the dad and you're not. And Christ the King says that as well. Uh, we sing... Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. What does it mean to be a king? As Americans, we have no idea. What does it mean to be king? You can look it up in almost any language, honestly, and you'll find these two attributes, these two rights of what it means to be a king, that he's an owner and that he rules. You'll see that in the Middle Ages, in the Dark Ages, in... in uh, probably prehistory, you'll see that a king owns everything. He owns the land, he owns the rivers, he owns the the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the castle, he he owns everything. He owns the crops. He tells the people what to plant, when to plant them, when to harvest them. This is what I'm going to eat next season, now get on that. The people are renters, not owners. They manage the land, they don't own the land because the king owns everything. The second thing you'll find in every monarchy is that they rule what they own. They tell the people where they're going to live, what they're going to do, when they're going to live, when they're going to die, everything in between, when they'll go to war. And when the king says it's time to go to war, they go to war. Would a Hamlet say there's nothing scarier than a bored king? They find a way to fight. 
And so a king owns and a king rules. And when we talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus the king. King Jesus. He is king. He owns everything and he rules everything. He's a prophet. He tells us what's right and real and true. And he's a priest because he died for us and he intercedes for us. But he is king and he has always been the king. Everyone that's ever thought of him, everything that's ever thought of him, has thought of him as a king. That's what they were expecting. When we talk about Messiah, the promised one, they were hoping for a king. From cradle to the cross, he is looked upon as a king. No, before the cradle, the angel comes to Mary and announces this. He, she hears this from the angel. But the angel of the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have been found favor with God, and you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him a throne, the throne of his father David. Throne, that's where kings sit. And he will reign, that's what kings do, over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. The angels knew he was a king. And when the magi come, the foreigners from outside, when they followed the star... They were looking for a king. They said in Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during that time King Herod was reigning, the Magi came from the east uh, to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east, and we've come, these kings, these Magi, these wise men, they came to worship him. There's four uh, biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is the book to the Jews. And the whole theme of that book, you can ask any scholar, if you have a Bible or study Bible, you can open it up. And what's the theme? That Jesus is king. People looked at him that way, and you look at not just his birth and his announcements for his birth, but also his life. Look at it from the perspective that he's the king, and that means he owns and he rules everything. And when the, everybody's out on a boat one night, right, there's a storm that kicks up and everyone's running for cover and they're screaming because their life is threatened and they finally wake up a sleeping Jesus. And Jesus wakes up and, and does this. And the sea is calmed and the winds die down and the disciples realize and they say it like this, even the winds and the waves obey him. Of course they do. Because he owns them, and he rules it. Jesus has an experience with one of his very good and close friends, and he died at an inappropriate time. And so Jesus is weeping and doesn't want it to end this way, and he goes before the cave, his tomb, and he, and he yells. He, he gives this order to this dead man, Lazarus, laying behind the wall, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> and he does. And do you know why? Because Jesus is king. And he's king of life and he's king of death. And I would imagine if it were animated, you know, Lazarus wakes up and he's, hey, hey, uh, I'm dead. <laughs> I can't come out. <laughs> 
I'm not even supposed to be listening to you. Come out. I am Jesus. I am king. And death has no victory. And death has no sting. Because I am the king of death. His life is saturated with stories of him owning and ruling everything because he is the maker and the creator of all things. And so if you even look towards the end of his life, you'll see that the last week of his life begins with what's famously known as the triumphal entry, right? Jesus is put on a young cult, a donkey cult, virgin cult. That's what kings ride upon when they're making a triumphal entry into his kingdom, And everybody's laying down palms in front of this donkey as he's walking down. And everybody's yelling these words. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Blessed is the king. A couple of religious leaders, they think they know what they're talking about. They say, well, you you can't be saying that. You can't be saying it's the king. And Jesus says, let them yell. Because if they don't, the rocks know that I'm king. And you don't want to hear them roar. Every created thing knows that Jesus is king. Last Supper. Remember the trouble the brothers get into, James and John? Why are they getting in trouble? Because they're using their mother to negotiate their position at the round table, at the king's place. They want to sit at his right and his left. They knew he was coming to be king. They wanted to get to the front of the line. When when he is being judged, he is being tried for being a king. Pilate knows. Pilate acknowledges. So, you are a king then. Jesus answered, you're right when you say that I'm a king. In fact, for this very reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to that truth. I'm a king. I'm the king. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is king, King Jesus. He owns everything. He rules everything. All of the apostles, you'll see them, you know, they're formerly the disciples in the book of Acts and and on. They're called the apostles. And when they write about themselves and they give themselves a title in their books, they'll say, servant of Jesus, slave of the king. Because they're, they're owned by him. Now, listen. I know this is very difficult for us to, conceive, you know, to conceptualize what it means to be in a monarchy, but that's what I'm going to talk about today. Acknowledging that the Bible says that Jesus is king and that means he owns and rules everything, I'm going to look, I want you to look at today as being an opportunity that if you could change the way you perceive life, okay, and maybe these other motives, there's five motives, let's put four of them over here, and let's look at this one that Jesus is king and he just rules. I want, I want you to see today how advantageous that is for your negotiating life's choices. Because if there's a monarchy and you're not the king, then that means you don't have to choose so much anymore. You just kind of have to do what you're told. And there's a lot of freedom in doing what you're told. If, If Christ is king in your soul, then you can choose no choice. See, once you make a choice that he's the king of your soul, then you don't, there's a lot of choices you don't have to make anymore, and that's very freeing. Because there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no negotiating or choice in a monarchy, right? There's no freedom in monarchies, right? There's, there's freedom in 
democracies and, and republics, but when there's a king, you just obey. And that can make life better and simpler, sometimes easier, because listen, let's, let's just kind of say this, um, freedom is overrated. It shouldn't be delegated like it's been delegated. It, it, we, we can't be trusted with our choices. Why? Because, because in the negotiation of a choice that shouldn't even be a choice if there's a king, we often lose. We lose, we lose, before, we lose before we choose because we're so busy choosing. Well, you know, let's just pretend you go to not just to, an, to a... A fork in the road, an ethical decision is more like a T, something, you know, something that's nagging you, an issue of pride or, or, whatever, or passion or, or um, not taking responsibility for something you did, not telling the whole truth on something. And so in the, in the choice of whether you should come forth on that, you say to yourself, gosh, I wonder. You know, I don't think anybody's ever going to know. I'll be the one who doesn't get caught. Maybe I could do something and not have to pay for it. I can have my cake and eat it too. I'm that guy. I can do that. And then you, you get a twinge of consciousness and you're appealing. You, you can hear the priest Christ talk to you and say, you know what? You know what? What's right and real and true is to be responsible, is to be honest and forthright. It is, it, it is, it, as much as it costs to obey, it is so much better to obey than to disobey. Okay, just do the right thing. And all of this is going back. And, but do I have the strength and endurance and the courage to... And while all that's happening, you lost. I mean, you lost already. It doesn't matter any, anymore. And, and here's why. Because, because so many of the times we lose in our negotiation and our litigation of an ethical choice that we missed the opportunity already. Courage is an impatient attribute. And by the time you figure it all out, it's past. You missed it. The boat left. It's gone. And so if you bring Christ as king into your life and you hit this, this intersection of ethics and you look left and look right, and, and so as, as you're looking left, you kind of say, you know, here's all the things that are available to me, and here's the righteous way to go, and here's what I should do, and then you look at the alternative, well, I'll just tell half the truth, and, and then you look, wait, King Jesus has put up a sign on that road, it says, road out, bridge is gone, you can't go there, and then you say to yourself, oh, I don't even have that choice, and so I've already chosen no choice, and I'll just do the right way, do you see? It's so much easier when you, when you, because there's no lying in the monarchy. And if you take away all these choices that you don't have once you choose that Christ is king, life gets easier. Look, look, we do this in other areas of our lives. We just, we don't want to call it a king because our, our founding fathers rebelled against the monarchy, right? And it's in our, it's in our way of looking. But look, if you did sports as a child, or maybe even better so as an adult, but when you do sports as a child, somebody writes a check, you pay some guy, uh, usually a guy, and it's a coach, and then, and then you choose to join that team, and then you don't choose anymore. The coach chooses for you. The coach tells you everything to do. I've had coaches that just said, you run till you throw up, and they weren't, like, exaggerating. 
And we did it. We, were, we did what we were told because we said, you'll be our coach. That's the end of our choices. Some of you, as adults, you, you go to gyms. And when I join a gym, I sign up for a year because I am so stingy that once I pay for it, I don't have to make any other choices because I will always go because I paid already. So, I mean, because if you look, it, comes, it goes like this. Or you, you go to a gym, you get a personal trainer, you write a check, and then what, what does that person do once you choose that person as a personal trainer? They tell you what to do, and then you obey them. And here's why. Because when it comes to getting in shape, let me, if you negotiate, you lose. It's too hot. Oh, it's too cold. It's too early. Oh, it's too late. I haven't ate. I ate too much. And so what happens is coach comes into your life and says, run. Just keep running. One of the largest uh, athletic companies in the world, what's their logo? Just think about it. Why don't we talk about getting in shape? Why not just do it? Just do it. Another, if you don't do what you're told, you won't get what you want. In the military, every military in human history has an indoctrination program. It's an initiation program. You raise your hand. You make a promise, and once you choose, your choices are over. Then there's a, you were introduced to someone very special to you, a master sergeant, a drill sergeant, a drill instructor, and, and they t take over all your choices. You don't have to choose anymore. They'll tell you what to wear, when to wear it. They'll tell you what to eat, when you'll eat, and where you'll eat. They'll tell you when you're going to rise and when you're going to sleep, if you ever sleep. They come into your life and they say, oh, you chose. Now I'll choose for you. They take away everything that's remotely related to freedom for you because it will save your life. And if it doesn't save your life, it'll save someone else's life because in combat, freedom will get you killed. In a war, if you're thinking, you're dying. And so they try to preempt all of that negotiation before you get there, and they introduce this drill instructor, master sergeant, drill sergeant, and he is a king. Ask him. And he's more than king. He's your mother and your father. He's your country. He's your God. And the more you get that, the better it gets for you and your comrades. Because if you want what you want, you'll just obey. That's the way Jesus is. That's as close to a king as we can get, and Jesus is the king. He owns us, and he rules us. And so if you can just think of him, you know, as a coach or as a drill instructor or something like that, and, and here's, here's what I'm telling you. Now that they can understand the way of thinking that way, now look what would happen if we applied that same value system, that place of authority into areas of our lives that seem to be where we're always losing. In other words, we have these things, these passions, issues of pride or addictions or something like that. And, and you know, when we appeal to the reason of the prophet Christ, uh, we shut them out. When we consider the joy-filled life and how that could affect this decision, it has, <laughs> it has no power. But what if, what if Christ the King shows up and just tells us what to do? So here's what I want you to do. Here's, you see what we're doing? Now we're going to apply this in your life. Think of the thing that you find yourself losing most of the time. Where you're on your back and this, 
temptation is standing over you, kicking sand in your face once again. Okay? Some, some passion, some, I don't know, fear, some pride, some uh, thing to be addicted to. Do you have it? Okay. Tell the guy next to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny, though? <laughs> we won't do that. Here's what we'll do. Now what we're going to do is we're going to apply, now that you have that in mind, now what we're going to do is we're going to apply King Jesus to that and see, see how, what your win-loss record is. And what I've done is I've looked at three areas that that, that is the motive that's being appealed to in the Bible. And I'm going to look, we're going to look at those things together, and I want you to be thinking either one of, the, of these three things, but I want you to extrapolate that and project it on that one thing that keeps defeating you, all right? So one of the first things that came up, to me, because it was so uh, persistent in my life, it had to do with generosity. You know, I read a lot in the Bible about how, from the prophet Jesus about how important it is to be generous, how you should build your life on generosity, how it's better to give than receive, and how, how it, it just makes sense in the Old Testament. It, let's just pretend there's 100 passages on giving. Probably 85 of them are from the prophet that just talking about just it's, it's a reasonable way to live generously. It is good for your soul. You'll be glad you did. None of those things, I mean, I agreed with all those things, but I'd never let go of money. I mean, I would acquiesce, but I'm still not giving up anything because my greed was an illness. It was, my coveting was uh, deeper than reason. So I honestly, I looked at passages talking about the priest of Christ Right? And how he gave his life for me. He didn't just cruise, or I'm sorry, sacrifice something. He sacrificed himself. He's testifying on my behalf. And the, the motive there is supposed to be overflowing joy. And so I'm looking at overflowing joy. And I've got to tell you, in, in, at, in my life at that time, I was overflowing with joy and sacrificially doing a lot of things for Christ. But I would never give a dime. Because my greed was greater than my joy. And then I found, so in other words, it's two to nothing. <laughs> and then I found this passage in Malachi. It goes like this. Listen to how animated it is. And from God's point of view, God is saying this. A son honors his father, right? A servant honors his master. I'm a father. Where is the honor that's due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect that is due me, says the Lord God Almighty? It is you, O priests, that show contempt for my name. And the priest's like, wait, 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 wait. How do we show contempt for your name? You place defiled food on the altar. And he says, well, what are you talking about defiled food? And he says, on the Lord's table, it is contemptible what you put on that table. And listen to what, he's ta- listen to what God is talking about when he talks to them about their lack of giving. He says this, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifice a blemish animal for the Lord. For I am a great king. I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty. And my name is to be feared among the nations. Okay, we're not going to talk about the reasonable thing to do. We're not going to talk about joy overflowing in light of all I've done for you. I'm a king. I am the great king of all the gods. And what do I get? See, this 14 took my freedom away. 
because this is the way I would live. I would live this. I would, it was just so consistent, right? I, God, I'm gonna, I'm, I am gonna, I'm gonna give a lot this month. I'm gonna set apart 10% at least for you, and then at the end of the month, I will give that to you. And at the end of the month, you know what I had? I had blind sheep. I had crippled goats. I had lame doves. I had scraps. I gave him scraps, and he is the king. Can you imagine having Jesus over to your house for dinner? Everybody eats first. You kind of scraping all the plates off and then saying, here's something for you. It's contemptible. And when I read that passage, I thought, oh, oh, oh. I thought I had a choice. And after I read that, I just, I just he's the king and I'm not. He, he owns me. He rules me. And from that point on, that was the turning point. I started just saying, look, I've, I'm, I'm doing this. So I would, the first 10%, at the first 10%, the best, the best male in the, you know, goat in the flock, I gave that to him. And then you got to figure out how I'm going to make it towards the end because he was in charge. I, if, if, I, if I had to reason it out, I would reason to my advantage every time. I always won, but I lost. And then after that, here's the, here's the, here's the thing. Here's what's kind of weird, because I couldn't defeat this with, you know, logic or reason, and I couldn't defeat it with joy. I defeated it with a, a just duty and obedience, and guess what else happens? All the other promises, they, hap- they, they turned out to be, it is better to give than receive. It is great to build your house in generosity. It is joy overflowing, and look what happens. But it didn't start there. It started with duty. It started with understanding that I've had someone that's in charge of my life, and he's a monarch. And in a monarchy, you don't choose. Look at all the passages in the Bible, front to back, on passions, on your passions. And here's the problem with passions. It is easy for emotions and, and sensuality and the need to be entertained it's so much, it's especially in our culture because we are ruled by our passions. That's the way uh, we've been trained. And it's so easy for those to take precedent over reason and joy. And the Bible doesn't talk. Let's just look at lust. The Bible doesn't talk about lust as it's something to be played with, tantalized, or considered. It is to be obeyed. You just run. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits, he commits outside of his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So when it comes to the passion of lust, and, and, and some, somebody sends you a rogue website, or you go there, and you, you start thinking, hmm, this could seriously damage my family or my marriage or my future. This could wreck my life. It's over. It Really? You want to talk about this? Does the Bible say, hey, sit down, pour some tea? It says flee. It says run. It says don't think, run. Look, look, and here's why. Look at the next couple of verses. Here's why. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, and therefore, honor God with your body. That's not your body. You don't own that body. You're a renter, not an owner. You know who owns that body? 
the Holy Spirit, he's living there. He has the deed. And so while you're staring at some website or some kind of tantalizing thing in your life, can't you hear what's going on with the drill sergeant in your head? Get down. Stand, you don't stand up in a firefight. Run, Forrest, run. What are you, what are you doing? There's no second clicks. There's, there's, there's no winks at some person. There's no flirting with a coworker. There's not a second glance at a person that's not yours. You don't have freedom. Your body's not yours. The king said, plant this and you do. The king says, go to war and you do. The king says, run and so you run. What would your win-loss record be if you just did what the coach said, what the sergeant said, what the king said in an area like this? It worked for Joseph, one of the most righteous men in the Old Testament, right? He was tempted multiple times, and then one time he just, I'm out of here. Here's the last one, submission to authority. Whenever, you know, that you read about submission to authority, it grinds us. It grinds us because we're humans and we've been rebelling against authority. That's what we do well, okay? And then when you come from a culture like ours, especially not just our country but our, our city, uh, we, just, we just hate putting up with it, you know? We don't like submitting to authorities from the government, from our employer, from you know, the law enforcement from a coach, from a church leader, whatever it might be, you know, it's, we're little, we're, too, we're terrible twos, you know, we're just in grown-up suits. And when the Bible says, when it talks about submission to authority, it's interesting, there's, there's, there's many appeals, by the way, to reason and to joy, but there's some appeals to just obeying like you're obeying Christ because he's king. Look what it says in Ephesians 6. We've looked at this multiple times. Slaves, just obey just obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart as you would obey Christ because he's king. Obey them not only to win their favor, well, that's a good thing, to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but like slaves to Christ. Oh, no, that's twice now. Doing the will of God in your heart. Serve them wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. There it is a third time. You, there's Nike, just do it. Just, just do it. And so when you pull into your parking lot at work and you just think, you know what, I don't like the management style here. I, I just I wish they'd do it. You know, who cares? I, I think I, I know more and could do better than the people over me. No one asked. <laughs> you know, it, it, the books I've read, the things I can do, just do it. If it's, here's, the th- here's the theory when it comes, the, the, the theme, rather, when it comes to authority. If it's ethical, obey. If, as long as you're working for this person or you're under this person, just obey them. And if you want to start your own family, you want to start your own business, whatever, you start your own country, God bless you. But until you do, if it's ethical, as unto the Lord. So you respect the police officer and the coach and the boss and the parent and whatever it might be, as unto the Lord. Don't. Don't get all confused like you have choice. That's just going to slow you down. It's going to get you trapped. He's a king. He says go. You say yes. That's the way the universe works. Look, if you come up against a hard thing in your life, 
You, you, could, you should seriously consider looking at Christ the prophet because if you read, like the Sermon on the Mount, for example, you'll read passages and Jesus will come in and say, look, I know it's hard, right? But it's harder to disobey. I know what you think is, is going to be a difficult and enduring lifestyle, but quitting is worse. It's a reasonable thing to follow the Lord. The prophet appeals to that. He's, you know, again, like a parent. It makes sense. And if you come against some things that are sacrificial in your life and you just think, oh, my, my, look at all that I'm having to give up, you should look at Jesus the priest because when you look at what he gave up, in contrast, you'll say it's not a sacrifice at all. Rarely do you ever see Jesus asking for someone to sacrifice. He'll tell stories about people selling all that they have to buy a field or all that they have to buy a pearl, but it always ends like this, and he left with his heart full of joy. So if you're looking and you're feeling like you're being sacrificial and it's costing more than you thought it would cost you, whatever it might be in humiliation or any, any context, you look at Jesus sitting, because sitting, he's done, at the right hand of God as your intercessor, and he didn't sacrifice some beast for you. He sacrificed himself and he rose again. And that can cause you to overflow with joy and love. And love will take you to places that reason will never take you, right? I mean, if reason won't get you there, love will. And if you come upon a situation in your life that's impossible, and every, you know, more often than not, you're the one getting kicked to the ground. I can tell you, especially if there's a lot of emotion involved in this, whatever this is, reason won't work, and joy will be no contest. You follow the king. You just do what you're told. You obey. Don't think, just flee. Don't negotiate, just submit. Christ is the king. King Jesus. You'll never be so free. You will never be so free than when you surrender to this king. Let me close in prayer. I'm just going to pray a psalm, and then I'm going to pray some of the hymns that we've been singing together. I think you'll listen for the kingship of Christ. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all the gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. He made it. And in his hands he formed the dry land. Come now. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock underneath his care. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Silent night, holy night, son of God, love so light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, King, at the birth. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. 
born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Lord Jesus, all of creation calls you king. All of creation submits to you, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and king to the glory of God the Father. Let that be true in our lives. Let us absolutely surrender to you so that we might be free to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.